We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ian Johnson asks, which team, not Notre Dame, is closest to reaching that top championship tier of schools like Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson? Are uh, reaching teams able to sustain to or be a one-time thing like LSU? Well, LSU technically wasn't a one-time thing. I mean, LSU won in 19, but they also won in, what was it, 07? What, what year What did they won? They won in 07, right? They, sh- they, they played for it in 11. They also won an 04. So, um, I mean, they've won three titles in, uh, what, 16-year span, right? 2004 to 19. Because Saban won at 04, beat Oklahoma. And then Les Miles won at 07. They beat Ohio State. And then 2019. So I wouldn't call them like a one-time. Like To me, there's there's that, that one time. And then there's like Florida State, who wins a title like one every 20 years, right? Uh, so... Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. So who would be the team that's not Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, or Clemson uh, that's closest that and also not Notre Dame? That's a really interesting question. Yeah. Let me think about that one for a second because I that because you took out my first choice was going to be Notre Dame. <laughs> and you know, just be and not even as a Notre Dame fan. I mean, look, they've been in the playoff multiple times. They've had top ranked, you know, they had a number six recruiting class last year. They got the number one recruiting class this year. Uh, that's a good one. If if Mario Cristobal would have stayed at Oregon, I would have considered putting Oregon in there. My reasoning would have been, I think he's recruiting well, he's a good coach, and the Pac-12 stinks. And, you know, they could get to the playoff kind of un, unharmed, much like Clemson, fresher, deeper, and maybe get a chance to make a run. They would probably be my next choice. There's not a Big Ten team, I think, that I'd put in there, Ryan. I don't know if you would. I'm not yeah. putting AM in there. I think Jimbo Fisher is an incredibly overrated coach. And and as I've said before, their recruiting class, as great as it was, was had some holes. And it's not they haven't strung together the recruiting classes that I like. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I mean, honestly, you, you mentioned Mario Cristobal. I, I might throw Miami in there, not for what they've done over the last couple of years, but just for the trajectory of their yeah. program, possibly. I got to, you know, the, 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 I think, I think there's a lot of things in place at Miami that could help them get there. Ryan, obviously talent in South Florida, the tradition, the conference is weak, which is a key in my opinion for a non sec team is like, you know, can you to quickly rise? You know, I, I, my thing is I still need to see if the school is going to support football. That that's my only holdup. I, I think you and I would probably agree on, I think Mario's a really good coach, not a great coach, but he's a really good coach. I think he'll recruit really well to Miami, especially if they go out and like have like a nine win season this year. I think he could, it would really help jump the recruiting up. It just goes down to, but will the school support football enough to, to really take it to the next level? That'd be my big question mark. But if they are, then I think Miami could be one. I do. Um, they, because they'd be behind Notre Dame for me. Yeah, but. it's just like it's just like a school that's cool, right? I mean, right. It, my it wouldn't take my two people. It wouldn't take recruits too long to get on board with Miami right. if they look like they're relevant again, right? Because and the state of like Miami cool. is still a thing, Ryan. That's like exactly. they don't use that expression anymore, but it's still a thing. Don't be surprised if if Mario brings that back. And the state of Miami, for those that don't remember, like basically, what was it like? One of the highways in like Central Florida on down, they basically call it the state of Miami, meaning like that's our home state. We don't lose a single kid from there kind of thing, right? And that's still a thing. Now, I think it's a little harder to dominate the state of Miami than it used to be because kids are more willing to, to leave. You know, the world's been opened up a little bit. But if Miami's good, still a lot of those kids are going to want to go there. Uh, and, and But the, the counter to that is Miami can also recruit more nationally now than they maybe they did back in the 80s, you know, because they can go get a California kid if they need to, if they lose their stud running back from – there they can go out to Texas and get a kid or whatever the case may be. So I think that that's a trade-off to the point where it doesn't hurt them that they lose some of those state of Miami kids. So I think if the schools want to support it, then then yeah, I think they could have a shot behind Notre Dame and and obviously those other schools. Uh, I I don't think I don't think Florida State actually is in a position like Miami. I think Florida State was great because of Bobby Bowden. I don't think Florida State has a lot of built-in inherent strengths that if the right coach is hired they're going to be right back on top i think florida state can get back to being really good but i don't think they get back to being what they were under bobby bowden i think they were that because of bobby bowden and and i think if if all three of the florida schools are equal it used to be miami florida state florida i think in today's era it would be miami florida florida state mm-hmm. and and i think that would be the order of it just because tallahassee is not a great place to live the school's not very good. 
it's way out in the panhandle. So it's, I mean, it's a ways away from the rest of Florida. It's not as easy to recruit in-state kids there as it is, you know, when you're Gainesville right in the center of the state or Miami. And it, you know, just, I just, it's a little, to me, it's a little tougher and, and they've never had great financial support ever. And so that's obviously a, an issue too. I'm, I, you know, Texas is one. I, I think if Texas hires the right coach, they could quickly get back on track. I think that's probably another one, but I wouldn't call them closest now because they have a lot to prove, but it wouldn't take Texas very long. And I mean, it could two to three years. If Sarkeesian is a legit coach, they're going to go out there and win nine, 10 games this year. They're going to, they had a top five recruiting class last year coming off of a losing record. Right. I mean, imagine what they're going to do this year. If they go out and win nine, 10 games, I think Texas would probably – I would probably uh, put Texas as the next best shot. I don't think anyone's close not named those four schools in Notre Dame. I don't think any of them are close. LSU is – like, it's – I've never seen a program fall harder than what LSU did in a two-year stretch. They went from having one of the best teams I've ever seen to hot garbage in two years. It, it's – I mean, just the talent level is completely different. You know, so so I don't see I don't think that's an easy turnaround, and I don't think Brian Kelly's the guy to do it. So I don't know if there is another school, Ryan, that I would say is close. I think your Miami point, my Texas point are are about well, you know what? I'm gonna take that back. Oklahoma. Cause you talk about close. Here's the deal. Whatever you think of the new coaching staff, right? Take that aside. Other than Notre Dame, what program has had the same level of success the last five years recruiting it on the field than Oklahoma? There isn't anybody. And Notre Dame's the only one. So I think you and I both have our doubts about Brent Venables as a head coach. Is that kind of why you were shaking your head? If we are wrong, because you and I agree on that, if we're wrong, though, and let's say he is a better coach than we think, Oklahoma's not very far off. I mean, now – I think going to the SEC is going to kill them. And and that's where they're going to that, – that's the bigger hang-up for me than than Brent Venables. But I like the Jeff Levy hire, keeping bed and ball there. I think Oklahoma would probably be the closest right now to, the, to reaching the top championship tier of schools. The issue that I would have with Oklahoma, Ryan, is the second part of the question. And that is, are they able to sustain it or would it be a one-time thing? I think Oklahoma could sneak a title in the next couple of years if they can get a quarterback that can do that, right? But it's not sustainable because they're going to the SEC, and it'll hurt them a lot more than it's going to hurt Texas, in my opinion. I don't know if you agree or disagree with I, that. But that would I would say this is like a sleeper article to me, right? Like I don't think there's mm-hmm. anybody close to your point. I think it's like let's take a – maybe you buy into Miami moving forward with the new regime. Maybe you buy into maybe the Florida Gators with the new regime. USC. If Napier yeah. hits, maybe USC if Lincoln Riley gets everything working over there. Those are kind of the teams, but they're also substantial brands already, right? Like I don't think right. anybody's coming out of the woodworks to be Clemson right. all of a sudden, you know? And I don't think USC's close. I, I know everybody's hyping it up, but USC's a hot mess. I mean, they're, 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 I mean that's not a good roster. Even with the additions, like, oh, look at the receivers are going to have. Hey, y'all, they've had some really good, really, really good receiving cores for crap teams in the last 15 years. All right. So it's going to take a lot more than just, oh, they have a quarterback and receivers. Oh, USC has a quarterback and really good skill players. Oh, gee, when has that ever happened before? 
you know, I mean, other than the last 40 years. Someone so. said someone said in the chat one that's interesting. It's obviously like it's mm-hmm. not a now one, but maybe in the future if the right coach is hired. Nebraska maybe like could back could back not in the Big Ten. And, no, no, I so. no, I think the Big Ten is gonna there's a, gonna be a peak for Nebraska. I don't think they could ever be better than what Wisconsin was in their heyday with Alvarez and then Bielema. I, I just because I just I don't see them ever being better than Ohio State. I just just they don't fit the Big Ten. I think they hurt their recruiting base. You know, they can't they can't go down into Texas like they used to and get top players like they were when they were playing a big eight schedule. Uh, I think I think the conference has hurt them. And and I think that now we're we're gonna have a show this summer and, and I and I've hinted this a lot and it's gonna be fun, but like which programs need to get good? If college football was to reach its peak of greatness, what would it look like? And I do think Nebraska being good again is good for college football. But as for as far as Nebraska getting back to when it was a great program. I think the other thing that's hurt Nebraska too is junior college doesn't produce the players that they used to produce. You don't see as many JUCO kids nowadays as you used to, like that are really impactful players. I mean, it used to there used to be a lot of JUCOs that would go to Nebraska. And other, I remember Terrence Marshall, that linebacker they had on those great '90s teams. Like they had several. It wasn't a lot, but you were getting some JUCO kids. And I just don't see. I don't see that. You know, going down to Texas and out to California the way that they – I mean, how many kids in California are like, I want to play in the Big Ten? And if they are, they're going to go to Ohio State or Michigan, not Nebraska. And that's the difference. So I think I think that greedy money move killed that program killed, and killed the Big 12. So Nebraska's just killing themselves and then killing the, – and then they're treated like crap. So the Big Ten treat, treats them like a redheaded stepchild. You know, so it's like, okay, but that's what you get. I have no sympathy for you because you did that to yourself when you when you just did a greedy money move and ran into the Big Ten. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for you. So, sorry. Don't feel bad. Last one I would throw out there is Tennessee. I'm interested yes. in them. I'm interested yeah. in them. Yeah, I, that's a good one because I think the East is more uh, – there. You can, you can rise up the East a lot faster than you can the West of the SEC. Uh, I think that's a really good one, Ryan. Really, and – what they have shown in this modern era of NIL, they have big money people willing to, to hand out big bucks. And the best way for an SEC team to get to that level is to pay. It's 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 like with a lot of schools, you need the right coach. I mean, that's true of Alabama too. I mean, Alabama's had some coaches that didn't win. It's not like Nick Saban's just doing what every other Alabama coach did. That's not the case. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I didn't even think about Tennessee. That's a really good one. Because I'm That's not, really I'm not sure if if Josh Heupel is like the guy guy, right? But I, I did right. watch a little bit of their film recently, and he's a pretty good offensive mind, man. Yeah. He's not, he's pretty good. <laughs> My question is, can he put a staff together, especially on defense? But yeah, he 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 that offense was really good this year. He was really aggressive. He didn't fall into the trap that a lot of people do when they go to the SEC. Is like I've got to adapt what I do to the SEC. No, he said this is what I do. You hired me to do this. I'm going to do this, and it worked. I mean. I don't think people realize how bad their offense was the year before he got there. I mean, Ryan, it was bad. They they were and still trying now Jared Guarantano or whatever his name was. They were still trotting him out. And then they made Hen and Hooker look like a completely different yes. player. So yes. yeah. Yeah. And as as long as he can recruit and put together good staffs, yes, I think that that could end up being a that's a really interesting one I didn't think of, Ryan, but that's a good one. 
because Tennessee can recruit. And here's the other thing. I think you this is also going to hurt Nebraska. I think you have to be at a school that has a really, really good talent base close by or in your state. And that's what hurts Nebraska. Nebraska's got elite. Like Oklahoma doesn't have great talent, but there's enough. There's Micah Teases. But they're, they literally border on Texas. Like it's like, a, a, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, it's like a, the northern part of Texas from a recruiting standpoint. Nebraska's in the different. I mean, it's out in the middle of nowhere. With Tennessee, you're kind of right in the middle of everything, meaning at Tennessee, you're not that far from Cincinnati. You know, like it's like a five and a half, six hour drive from northern Indiana to Nashville. I mean, it's it's not that you, you can go recruit Indianapolis just as effectively as you can go down to New Orleans or Florida and you can go up to Ohio. I mean, when when Tennessee was rolling, do you remember back in the day when they got uh, Ben Wilson and, Aaron, and, and from Cincinnati? Notre Dame really wanted it was during the Charlie era. Really good DN. Uh, you know, they're, they're, if Tennessee is rolling, you, Notre Dame may not get Prince Colley, right? I mean, that that's the reality of it because Tennessee does produce good talent. Tennessee doesn't be able to keep it. And they're and correct me if I'm wrong, but they're a decent academic institution, right? Like they're not decent, bad. Yeah. yeah. No, they're, they're not terrible at all. Yeah, no. Yeah. And they border Virginia, right? Like they border they they on the eastern coast part of the state. They border the state of Virginia. So I mean, think about that. They're either uh, they either touch or are a state away. From Ohio, Virginia, Indiana, and then of course all like Georgia. I mean, they they're kind of right in the middle of that really unique place that I do believe. I think you're right, and they have a very loyal fan base. That's a good one, Ryan. I didn't think about that one. I, I've and kinda... then you got the the nightlife in Nashville too, right? I mean, that's right. a big sell too. I mean, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, and and Knoxville's not too far away from. From Nashville. So yes. And I've heard Knoxville. I've never been, but I've heard Knoxville is a really cool college town. I don't know that for a fact. I've never been, but I know some buddies of mine that, that are from Tennessee that say Tennessee's got a really is a pretty cool place. So it's a very interesting, very interesting one, Ryan. And as I'm trying to rack my brain for other programs, Tennessee did not pop in my head. I think that's a really good one. Really good one. Who would be your number two choice in the big 10? I still think it's Michigan. If they had the right situation, I just don't think Jim Harbaugh is that guy. Yeah, mine would probably be Michigan too. I don't. I mean, I don't think Michigan State would have stay power, right? Like mm-hmm. they said, random year. I mean, maybe they, if they get a D'Antonio swing again, and he has like yeah. the random year where they're good, and then the random couple years where they're not good. And but yeah, I think Michigan again, it's a brand. So I'm going to change I mean, it. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go Penn State because I think with the right coach. Now it's not with James Franklin. I'm looking at as a program. If the right coach got hired, and this is why Penn State's not an answer to this question, because they're not close, because I don't think you can – I don't think he's the guy. But if if I'm wrong about James Franklin – this is kind of my point about Brent Venables. If I'm wrong about James Franklin or Penn State hires someone different or better, because Penn, the, the reason I initially didn't go with them is because Pennsylvania doesn't recruit players like it used. It doesn't produce talent in football like it used to, but it still produces good talent. And if Penn state was really rolling, they don't lose Rodney Gallagher to West Virginia or Notre Dame. They keep all those guys in state. They keep some of the Pittsburgh guys there, not a ton. Penn state's never cleaned up in Pittsburgh, even when they were great. I mean, Pittsburgh, they either went to Pitt or they went to Notre Dame or Ohio state. I mean, they, it Penn Penn state's kind of far away from Pittsburgh and it's out in the middle of nowhere. But they recruit Jersey like crazy. They recruit Virginia like crazy. They clean up in Maryland if they were really rocking and rolling. So I think maybe Penn State, and it might be 
might be the other the other one along with Michigan because for whatever reason, Michigan kids don't have that same affinity for the in-state that they used to. And it's been like that for a while. Makes it very interesting. Let's let's go with Rutgers next too, right? <laughs> clean, clean up in Jersey, keep all the no. talented Jersey. <laughs> no. Uh, Siggy 13, Brian, Vincent, Ryan. I really like Julian saying, I've noticed you guys saying more positives about CJ Carr. What are the key differences in terms of elite level you see between the two on film? Let you take first crack at that, Ryan. Both yeah, of us I, like Julian. Sand. I just want to say we like Julian Sand. It's not like we right. dislike him. Mm-hmm. I would even argue he might be a better high school player right now than CJ Carr. That's fair. And he's a, he's a gunslinger. It's just we're mm-hmm. we're talking we're projecting, and that's where the difference comes from. But yeah. please answer the question. Yeah, I think Julian. He has a little bit of a stronger arm for me, but I think that the reason that I kind of like CJ a little bit more right now is I think he just has a more natural feel for the position. I think he's a little more accurate, and I think he's a little bit better of an athlete. I think he's. There's just a natural feel. I mean, it's like the Dante Moore thing that we always talk about, right? Like there's a couple quarterbacks in the 2023 class that may have stronger arms or maybe even a little bit better athleticism, but it's just the feel for the quarterback position, right? And I think that CJ's a little advanced in that regard. But I mean, that to say, they're both top 50 caliber players, in my opinion, mm-hmm. right? Like Julian Sane has this big upside. Like there's no doubt, but I just, I don't know. There's something about CJ that I think is just a little different that you can't quite quantify with arm strength, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I think it's a combination of just more of a natural pocket passer. I think, look, and here's another thing too, Ryan, and to Siggy's question, a lot of it's going to be about what your personal preference is for style of play. I mean, if you're someone who is, and also what's the offense you run, it's going to change the answer. If you are Ohio State or Notre Dame, you're going to want a quarterback that's more of a, he needs to be able to drop back and throw it. There's other other programs where like Julian saying, I think would be a great fit in Clemson's offense. Uh, he'd be a great fit in some of, you know, he would not be a great fit at, at, you know, he'd be a great fit in Ole Miss's offense. Like I think he would, he would put up big time numbers for Lane Kiffin, who likes to have a mobile quarterback as well as a guy that can sit in the pocket and throw, you know, he would have been great in like that old Texas A&M offense back in the day with Johnny Manziel. Like he's a better passing version of him in, in some regards and how he plays. Now he's, not the idiot that Johnny Menzel was, but you get the point style of play wise. So there are some offenses where he's better for me when it comes to CJ Carr and Julian Sane, it's also projecting who's the, it's more about, it's more about the fit at Notre Dame. I think Tom Reese ideally wants a guy that's going to sit back and throw it, not a guy that's going to run around all the time. And I think that's why, that's why I like Tyler Buckner. Cause I think Tyler Buckner, when he runs, he's running, when he throws, he can, sit in the pocket and throw it. Julian is more of a gunslinger than he is a traditional pocket quarterback for me, where CJ can move, but he's more of a pocket quarterback for me. So a lot of it's going to be about personal preference, and you're going to find other people that are going to like Julian Sandmore. And I wouldn't sit here and say, you're nuts. You're so wrong. You're way off base. No, I'm not going to say that because, again, it just depends on what what's your preference and what is it that you're looking for in a quarterback. And that's going to be the – like. Depending on the offense you want to run, you may you may think Josh Allen's a better quarterback than Pat Mahomes, and in another offense that you want to run, you're going to want like I, like if you're looking at Ryan, you're a Rams fan. If you're a Rams fan, you probably would take Pat Mahomes over Josh Allen. But in other offenses where you know you're maybe you don't have the players around them, or it's more built around the quarterback making more plays, maybe you might want Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson or whatever. I mean, that's all Paul part of it as well. Is it's, it's who's the better fit for? for your offense and what you're looking for in a, in a, in a quarterback, in my opinion. So good, good question. Good question. 
Colin McGee says, do you guys see Notre Dame maintaining the 23 class and momentum with the 24 class if Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame have a subpar season in 2022? Say Notre Dame has an eight-win season this year. Would it be more difficult to recruit than before? I mean, it'll stall momentum a little bit. I don't think that it's one thing where if they don't have the greatest season that it will completely kill momentum, but it'll be more difficult to get kids to buy in if there's not on-field results, right? I mean, again, like I think it's just a halt in momentum, not as a kill of momentum, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I, I think it'll be a little tougher to put that class together, but it wouldn't be impossible. I still think they'd have a top five to eight class. I think whether or not you can get a top three class again, you know, I, look, I, it won't be tougher than before because it, before you just, you didn't put in the work. So it kind of balances itself out. You never took advantage of the success you had on the trail or on the field on the trail. Right. So I, it'll be harder than what you're doing right now. Cause right now there's still the unknown. He doesn't have, I mean, I don't think most kids care about the loss to Oklahoma state. Didn't have the staff. He, you know, didn't have a staff coach. We fired all that stuff. So, I think eight and four would be a very disappointing season, though. It would. It'd be a very disappointing season. I just, I just don't, I don't see it. I, I, I know I'm probably in the minority here, but I just, I don't, I just don't see it. I really don't see it. I don't think you're in the minority. I think yep. if anything, eight and four expectations are in the minority. So. Yep. Yep. Ray Panconi. Anyone here when Freeling will commit? It stayed the same, Ray. It's going to be into the season most likely unless something gets escalated, which it's always possible. But Monroe has been very consistent all the way through the recruiting process so far that he's going to take his time. He's going to take his official visits and he's going to make his decisions. So it's not going to be a rushed one. But I mean, if he takes a visit and it escalates it, it's always possible. But you should expect it most likely to go into the season barring something else happens. John DeCrisio was the loss of Rodney Gallagher strictly a proximity to home issue? Not, not strictly. Fully. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. No, not not strictly. I mean, there were there's a relationship with West Virginia outside of just the coaches. We'll leave it at that. If you want to get on the board and find the full info on that, you can. But I mean, there's definitely some proximity part of it. I would say. I mean, Rodney loves where he grows up he loves where he lives and i mean i think one of the things he said was he wanted to you know give back to where he brought where he was grown up or whatever so it definitely has a part in it john but it is not the full story now yep mason sidwell with the super chat thank you mason what made brian van gorder so bad serious question oh, that's a, i mean it's a fair question uh, beyond just the fact he was a a, a pretty horrible human being who just wasn't liked or respected by his coaches or teammates, which is, a, I mean, that's a very important thing. If you don't like your coach or respect your coach, it's going to be a problem. I think strictly from a football standpoint, let's just focus on that, Ryan. It was, he was trying to run a defense. I don't think he actually understood. I think he was trying to run a defense that he got from someone else that he didn't understand how to, how to make it work. And here's, here's what that means. If I'm going to install an, I'm an offensive coach. If I'm going to install an offense, I've got to know the ins and outs of every aspect of that offense because I got to know how to adapt it to my personnel. I've got to know how to properly use it to put a game plan together when I'm getting ready to play a team. Uh, if the more you know something, 
the greater feel you're going to have for what to call and when against what looks. It's easier to adjust when you have a full knowledge of your offense. It's just, it's like with anything, man, that's my thing. I just, I just know it. But when you're, it's kind of like taking a test when you basically just tried to memorize everything the night before. And if you think you know all the answers and the answers just kind of play out perfectly, you're going to be fine. But what if the teacher throws in some curveballs? Or if you think it's going to be – this is a better example. You study all night for a test, and, and you didn't you haven't spent the semester learning it. You don't really know the material, but you just memorized a bunch of stuff because you think it's going to be multiple choice like every other test was that semester. But the teacher throws you off and says, okay, it's not multiple choice. It's all short answer and essay. Multiple choice you can get right with memorization. You can put things together like, okay, this associates with this, multiple choice. Or there's a process of elimination. You got four options. If it's short answer essay, you don't, and you don't know it, you have zero chance of getting it right because you don't know it. You have to, it has to come from your mind. You have to know the information to be able to verbalize it, right? Same thing in football, right? If you are just kind of trying to run somebody else's offense that you defense that you don't understand, you're not going to know how to adjust in game. You're not going to be able to – your players aren't going to be as confident and know how to do everything. That's number one. Number two, because he didn't necessarily know how to teach the defense, he felt that he had to have the right call for every scenario as opposed to just little quick checks. And so something is – and this is something I was told by another coach that played against them at the time. So you could just simply do something as simple as taking your slot and motion across the field and Notre Dame would have to check everything. That's absurd. Like you knew you, and then if you snap the ball, as soon as the guy goes across, they're in mid check. And we saw that a ton of times. So it just was, it was just a far too complex system. And the fact that he didn't understand that complex system the way that you should, when it's your system meant that he couldn't teach it. Cause if you don't, Ryan, you're, you're a teacher, right? If you don't know the con, if you don't know the subject matter, you're not mm-hmm. going to be as good of a teacher as someone who knows the subject matter, right? And that's just a fact. You can't teach it because you can't, you may be able to regurgitate what is what was given in the lesson plan or manual. But if you start getting into questions and kids are asking you questions about it or mm-hmm. something along those lines, then you're just not going to be as effective as someone who really knows the material, correct? And so yep. that's, that's who Brian Van Gorder was, in my opinion. That's crazy. Wait, so so if there was a motion, then Brian, like he like he didn't have an adjustment off of the look, right? Like no, it wasn't like something different. Yeah, it wasn't like different. I mean, just completely different. That's it crazy. wasn't like okay. Uh, so like if if we're in a two look, right? We have a call to our safety to the strong side, and then the backside safety. So like maybe you're gonna just yeah. roll your safety down, right? Mm-hmm. They motion sure. across. You just check that and just, you know, just do it. Rotate, way, right? You're right. Or right. you know you may change your run strength. It may change your run strength, right? Because you have to identify run strength. No, it'd be a complete audible. And there's audibles happening at all three levels, right? The line's doing things, the linebackers are doing things, and the DBs are doing things, often independent of each other. And it just was a freaking hot mess. And then, of course, for people that were our most tailgate, there was, of course, the Bible, which is more of a, you have to be in a tailgate to know that story. But yeah, he just great story. he just great didn't story. know the intel. He didn't know the, the defense. He didn't know how to teach it. It was way too complex. He didn't know how to adjust it. And uh, and then on top of that, he was a bad guy. And so all those things factored together to make him a bad football coach. Tyler Bengi, Brian and Ryan, how is the summer evaluation camp and does the school pay for the players to visit? 
is that sort of a recruiting tool too? No, they do not pay for that because you you cannot take an official visit for a camp. If you so, for example, if Joe Odding was coming on campus the weekend of the camp for an official visit, he could not work out at the camp. If you're going to come to the camp, it's got to be an unofficial visit. And then you can come back the next week for an official visit. But the school, and here's the thing, you can't pay for him to come in town, then be part of the camp, but not start the official visit and then stay for that. If you're going to fly him in town for the official visit at no point in time, the, the, since he's on t- in town, can you have him be part of that workout? So it has to be an unofficial yep. visit. And, and you're not evaluating a player that you want to get on an official, right? Like that's right. kind of like you're trying to close the deal out at that point, right? right? So it's, right. that's why it's separate. Evaluation right. and official are just not right. the same wavelength. Right. You do that part. If you're trying to size a kid up, you're doing that during the unofficial part of it or the in-school visit, things like that. Is it a recruiting tool too? Yes, it is a recruiting tool though, especially for underclassmen. There was a lot of kids like Peyton Bowen worked out at Notre Dame last year. Don Schuler worked out at Notre Dame last year. Those that was part of the evaluation was getting to work with Coach O'Leary and getting to see him in action and those type of things are are things that these kids liked and was it was beneficial to them. Yeah, we well, so, we yeah. talked about that with the interview with with Don Schuler, Don's father. He talked about that that they didn't really start heating up until they saw him in person and they yeah. saw that you know, he blew him away. That he was exactly. Yeah, he was a kid they liked but they weren't sure of. Because of exactly what we said, like, or what I said, I don't know if you, what you, his sophomore film was really good from the standpoint of he was a really smart, instinctive football player, but I didn't see a great athlete. His athleticism, so I was told that he blew the staff away at the camp, and I'm like, and that's why they took him. I'm like, okay, we'll see, because the film didn't show great athlete. Of course, he goes out as a junior, and now you're seeing that athleticism pop, and now you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. But that started to show in the summer. And that's what really, and same thing with Peyton Bowen. Like the staff really liked Peyton Bowen, but it wasn't until he ran a 4 4. Like, and then they said, hold on a second, like 4 4 1, that, that doesn't seem right. So they made him run it again and they timed him a 4 3 8. I've told that story too. That's when all of a sudden, okay, this kid we really liked now becomes a must get for us. And, and that's, that's what really, really kind of blew them away. There, there's, there's no doubt about it. All right, here's from Ian Johnson with a super chat. Thank you. Who, not Notre Dame, is ne- – oh, actually, we saw this one. Okay, we asked that it's one before, one, so right? apparently he put that as a super chat as well. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Ladarius Martin, our resident Alabama fan, says, what do you all think about Eli Holstein to Alabama? He is obviously the quarterback that just picked Alabama. So, Ryan, have you had a chance to watch much of Eli Holstein? I have, yeah. I watched okay. Eli. Um, I hadn't watched him until recently because he obviously wasn't on Notre Dame's board at all. Um, kid's good, Ladarius. I mean, mm-hmm. I, very honestly, man, he's gifted pocket passer. I think he understands the game really well. There's there's big time tools there, man. He's a big kid too. He's like six four, two twenty something already. Like he's very gifted. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. it. Alabama got a good one there. Yeah, strong arm, c- clean release. He's He's a better vertical athlete than he is necessarily mobile. That which, because some of his pocket movements are like looks a little stiff, and then you see him take off running. I think it's more of a footwork issue. He seems to be really heavy footed in the pocket. I think that's something you can coach out. Once that gets coached out, I think that improves. The only thing that I'm concerned about with him, which is he doesn't look super like uh, avoid the pressure kind of guy. But once he gets in space, he can really run. He's not springy. and he's got some. Yeah, he's got some at good athletic numbers. So I really think it comes down to a coaching thing, like a technique thing. But 
I mean, he is he's in the conversation for me of that fifth quarterback in the in the top five. I mean, so like Dante Moore's my number one, Malachi's probably my number two, Arch is in my top five. I uh, after that after those three, it's kind of like okay, there's there's Jaden Rashada. I like I like Rashada. By uh, he's way. in my I top really like five. Rashada. There's yeah. there's uh, Eli Holstein. There's Obviously, uh, Nico is a guy that a lot of people have in there. And then there's other guys like, you know, like I'm a, I'm a big Ricky Collins fan. He's not my top five, but like he's a sleeper quarterback that I really like. This is an incredibly deep quarterback class. But Eli is in that conversation for that for that five spot. I'd probably put Jaden Rashada number four right now. Uh, but again, I, I'd have to dive really deeper into the film to, to say that definitively. It's more off of my gut. Like I like Jaden Rashada more. Just get that sense of him. But Eli's in that conversation for me, Ryan. And if you're in the conversation for being one of the five best quarterbacks in this quarterback class, you're really good. And I think Eli is really good. Agreed. So, yeah, it's a really good pickup for Alabama. No doubt mm-hmm. about it. No doubt about it. Another super chat from Sky Shark 425 Thank you for that. Military history live stream. I'm in. Tell me your thoughts on Jamini. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I think it's a so, person. I think someone okay. commented a full name. Yeah. I don't know who he is either. Though. I don't know who that is. So I guess I'm not the historian that I thought I was. Rob Lobo, who's more likely to play at an elite level this year, the offense or the defense? I'd say defense is the more likely bets. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I can get that. You can convince me of either one, but I think – Judging what I saw last year with defense, with everything that's coming back with guys like Isaiah Foskey and Cam Hart and Jason Adam Alola and Maris Loyfal coming back from injury and Brandon Joseph getting put into the back end for the defense, I think I could just get there easier with the defensive side of the football. Mm-hmm. I think most likely to play at an elite level would be the defense for the reasons you mentioned. I think the unit with the greatest upside is the offense. I think if I think Ryan is absolutely correct, the the defense getting to where they are to an elite level is not a big leap. It's just not the talents there, experience, and they've proven it. The offense is a long way away from being elite, but I would argue that the the overall talent and big time playmaking ability on offense is greater. Uh, It just they got a lot more to prove for me, so that's why I agree with Ryan's answer that it's the defense. But I did want to kind of throw that caveat in because I do feel like if the defense, if the offense gets kind of close to its potential, it has a chance to to be really, 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 really good. There's no doubt about it. Let's get to some more. Adam Shipley, as an analyst, what will Laronitis's role consist of? So actually, just I was surprised by this. He's not an analyst. He's a graduate assistant, which is even better for Notre Dame because he can coach. The thing is, as an analyst, he couldn't be on the field. But as a GA, it has to be based on when you stop playing. In the like, if you're an NFL player, because the, the, there's like a seven year mark, you can't coach. Like it's like I think it's like seven years after you're done. He must not have graduated till late. Maybe I don't know. Or maybe they like if you play in the NFL, you shouldn't get punished for playing the NFL if you want to get into coaching. There's got to be some sort of caveats there. But he's listed as a graduate assistant, which means he can coach. My understanding is, is that, that Al Golden is allowing him to do a lot of the coaching, or at least some of the coaching, a linebacker. Which Because uh, we've heard reports. I think, Ryan, you even said this at the, at the practice you were at. Didn't you say that there was a time when Al Washington was working with the D-tackles and Al Golden took the DNs? Yes, yeah, James Laronitis yeah. was working with the linebackers. 
Mm-hmm. So having if 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 he's the coach that people think he is, and again the guy played in the NFL for like a decade, it's just like with Chancey Stuckey, like he knows the game, right? I mean, it's not like he hasn't been around football for a long time. You know, he stopped playing in like 07 or something or 08, and he hadn't been around football since then. Like this guy's been in football for a long time, so I think he can coach it, and I think it just gives them a it's I mean, basically like a full time assistant in a GA role. And, of course, you have Marcus Freeman, who knows a thing or two about coaching linebackers as well, which helps. You, you want to talk about recruiting prowess for a second? Imagine talking James Laurinaitis to come back and be a graduate assistant yeah. after being the Rams' <laughs> all-time leading tackler. <laughs> Imagine that. That's That shows a lot about the the respect that, and the friendship that James Laurinaitis has with Marcus Freeman. It says a lot about them. There's no question. But, yes, that is quite the coup. Like, yeah, come be a coach. You know, you're living this nice life. You got your podcast. You're in retirement. Yeah, come, come be a college football coach. You know, and and all that that entails. Yeah, Rob did off with a great question. I like this one. Ryan says Brian and Vince, and if Ryan joins later, well done, Rob. In your opinion, what is the most pivotal win for Notre Dame in the past ten years, and what is the most devastating loss in the past ten years? I I think that is the latter is easier for me than the former. Because I have two. My hmm. first gut reaction is Stanford 2012. I, I think that was a huge win for Notre Dame because I don't think right. they play for the title. Stanford had dominated them. They won like four years in a row. The previous few games hadn't even been competitive. And Stanford was a top five caliber program then. I mean, they were coming off a year. They had just lost a, the Fiesta Bowl game to Oklahoma State in one of the best bowl games I've ever seen the year before. They were replacing Andrew Luck, but they were still a really good football team. And I think they finished in the top 10 that year. That game gave Notre Dame the confidence that it needed to, to run the table and beat Oklahoma. Because like people say Oklahoma, but Oklahoma doesn't happen if they don't beat Stanford first. I, 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 I just don't believe it. But then kind of the other part of me wants to say – the other part of me wants to say Michigan 2018. Because you know, we forget, you know, Notre Dame was coming off of a 10-3 year. They faded down the stretch in 20, 2017 as good as they were, uh, that Michigan game beating a preseason top 10 Michigan team really sparked them to kind of have that undefeated season. I think that 2018 season is the one that really put Notre Dame on its current trajectory of mm-hmm. really being a dominant team. So I think Michigan is another one that I really think about. What, what about that USC game? Was that 2018? 2017. 2017 yeah. USC game. Yeah. I, I would say no because that was my favorite win, mm-hmm. but it's it, to me it's not pivotal because of my answer to the latter which is the most devastating loss in the past 10 years is the Miami game of 2017. Just Fair. like, I still feel like that Notre Dame team could have competed for a championship that year. That was not a great year of college football. That mm-hmm. Alabama 2017 team was not that good compared to other Bama teams. I mean, Notre Dame almost beat Georgia in game two of the chip long Mike Elko, Matt Bayless tenure. And they didn't even play well. And that's yep. the thing is like, they almost beat Bama Georgia and didn't even play well. Like if if they would have played against Georgia, like they played from second half of BC to Wake Forest, they win that game by ten. Mm. And and so you know, and you can say yeah, it was first game for Jake Fromm, and that's a fair that's a fair response. But I don't think Jake Fromm was that much better later in the year because you could also argue Notre Dame didn't know what a Jake Fromm led offense was going to look like. True, but I felt that team with that offensive line and and the defense was good enough. That I think they they could have it could have been very interesting to see what happened in the playoff, 
as long as they didn't get Oklahoma in the opener. That was the only team that year that concerned me from a matchup standpoint because they could score. Mm -hmm. Georgia and Alabama and Notre Dame would have pounded Clemson in 2017. Like if they played like they did in that stretch, the Miami game just destroyed that football team. They just they were never the same team after that. And they just that shouldn't have happened. It wasn't just the loss, right? It was the way they lost. Just right. embarrassed. That to me, that was to me the most devastating loss of the last 10 years. Like I thought about Stanford 2015, but that wasn't a devastating loss because I mean, you know, it just it didn't have that same effect. But I I really feel like the the Miami game in 2017 was just Miami's an easy one. Yeah, Miami's that was a difficult one. I, I also I, I want to piggyback off of the the positive side, the pivotal one for a second, the 2012 Stanford. I mean, I, I still have the Stefan Taylor getting stopped at the goal line mm-hmm. etched in my mind. Like that's one of the memories that just comes back to me so quickly. So mm-hmm. that one was that one's that, that's one that you'll remember forever, and that's one that I remember forever. Like, do they go ten do they go twelve and zero if they lose to Stanford? I mean, obviously no. My yeah. thing is, do they even go ten and two? If they lose, because I think if they lose to Stanford, it's a snowball, you know, because of what happened the previous two years, they lose to Oklahoma. Maybe they lose to USC. I mean, I just don't know if that team would have had the same confidence that it did when they actually beat, beat that. I mean, a good Stanford team, you know, because it came to find out Michigan wasn't that good that year. You know, they beat Michigan state who was, who was ranked in the top 10. They ended up being like seven to six. They weren't that good. Stanford actually ended up ranked higher at the end of the year than they were when they played. And so that was a really, really good Stanford team. Really good Stanford team. So it's a really good question, Rob. I, I liked that one. Douglas Road Roundabouts. <laughs> Would this year's starting O-line look different if Blake Fisher wasn't hurt against Florida State last year? I think so. Yeah, but I mean, sure. Yeah. It would look yeah. different because I think you'd have a harder – it's my opinion, Ryan. You tell me if you agree mm-hmm. or disagree. I think you'd have a harder time moving Blake Fisher to right tackle – if he had played left tackle all year. Sure. I'd be a harder move. Not not even harder move from convincing Blake, convincing yourself that that's not the move, right? And would would Joe Alt be the lock he is right now to start at tackle? Absolutely Maybe not. not. You'd be starting yeah. – you you may still make the same move you did. You may move Josh Lug inside, but you'd be doing it with a lot more risk because you're playing a kid that never really played the year before. Because right. this also works the assumption if Blake doesn't get hurt, well, Josh never got hurt till the bowl game. So maybe you'd have seen Joe Alt in the bowl game at right tackle like Blake Fisher did, maybe. But I think I think you'd I think the only difference would be they'd flip. So it would look different. It wouldn't look dramatically different, but it would look yeah. different. In my I mean, opinion. if that if that injury never happens, I mean, wasn't what was Alt the fourth left tackle fourth. they went through, right? Yeah. So I mean, if he Blake, never gets hurt, Carmody, then, Tosh, yeah. and then yeah. Yeah, I mean, you would assume that Tosh or Carmody would be the next guy in then in that bowl game. If I know it's all speculation, but yeah, I think it's, I think you might not know who Joe, well, I, I think you might be excited about Joe Alt right now for the developmental potential, but I don't think you would know Joe Alt right now, if that makes sense. Yeah. We wouldn't be having the same excitement about him. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. All right. DM ND13 with a question. Who would you be more excited about landing, Jaden Osbury or Samuel Pemba? Not asking if you could only have one because I want both and think we should hope for both. I like how he knows he 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 knows my cheating answer, and so he makes sure that I don't he he gives the out so I can't cheat. Well done. Very well, very well done. But who would you be more excited about? Ryan, I'll let you answer this one first. 
It's such a tough one, man, because I think Jay Osbury is a better player right now, and I think he has a higher floor. But Samuel Pemba is such a talented athlete, right? Like, I, I would probably say I'd be more excited about him and Pemba for a couple reasons. One, I believe in this coaching staff, so I think that they're going to get the most out of Samuel and Pemba. And if you tell me that they have Osbury and they have in Pemba, and you're getting like the coaching staff has a good opportunity to unlock the ceiling of both players, I think Pemba is a more impact player. That being said, I think that Osbury has the higher floor, so I'm going to be fine with Brian when he's in a minute when he tells me it's Osbury because that's his favorite dude ever. So, <laughs> but I think it's in Pemba for that fact. And then the other part of it is Brian is I'm a recruiting guy, right? So right. it is the it's the layer of perception and the perception yeah. of getting Samuel and Pemba will stick with more people, at, even if it's wrong than Osbury sure. to sure. Agree. I think I think Mike I would I would counter that part mo- the most because I do think there's also the perception of beating Brian Kelly in his backyard. I think we're under forget the pettiness of how much I would enjoy that. I'm uh, real talk, national talk, right? You just went to your former head coach's backyard and beat him for a stud top fifty kid that's literally goes to a high school that's like uh, right there by your school. Like that would say a lot because there's a there, Notre Dame's going to have a lot of battles with LSU now and then in the future. So I think perception wise, that would matter. I get where you're coming from with the five star and all that. And I completely buy that. I just think the uniqueness of if Brian Kelly would have left for Florida instead of LSU, I'd 100% agree with you on the perception part. I just think the fact that Jaden is in Kelly's backyard and you're able to beat him for him would add something to that. I think the other part I, I buy, but for me, it's Osbury just because he's he's one of my favorite players in this class. I just I love the kid. He's a great Notre Dame fit. I know what position he's going to play, linebacker. Uh, I just think he's the kind of kid that comes to Notre Dame and thrives. I also think for me, opening up Louisiana, continuing to open up Louisiana, is is could be just as beneficial as getting more influence at IMG. Mm-hmm. I, it's just my that's my opinion on it as well. well. Well, Charles agrees with you. He wants both. I want both. Yeah, and I think everybody wants both. It's but it's like which one? I mean, but I will have I won't have the same excitement level for both. It's like I'm super excited about this. I'm super excited about this, but there's a different level to my super excitement. But both of those would be home run pickups, and that's that's always the tough part about answering that. It's part of my reason for not liking to answer those is like, but then it comes across as like, well, you're not going to be excited about Samuel Pembo, right? I'll be fired up about both of them. I want both of them. But just, again, it goes back to the whole style of play thing. I love linebackers like Jaden Osbury. It's not that I dislike Samuel Pemba. It's just I love kids. I love that 6'1", mm-hmm. athletic, wicked smart, just makes a ton of plays kind of guy. And, like, he's the kind of guy that you put on – like, there's a Jalen Smith-type linebackers, right? Just the freaks. You're like, wow, did you see that play? Like, I was watching some highlights of the 2013 game against Arizona State when Jalen was a freshman. And they ran a bubble screen, and there's like three guys trying to block Jalen, and he just splits them all, goes and makes a tackle for logic. Like, that dude's a freak. Then there's that kid that you look at the stat sheet, and you're like, hold on a second. I don't even remember that guy's name. He had 14 tackles. Like, I barely remember it. You know, just dude makes plays, and he's just a football player, and he's a leader and you know, setting the defense and all that kind of stuff. I just – I just – I love that kid. So, yeah, it's a it's a bias. I'll flat out say it. It's a bias. Uh, there's There's no question. There's no question. I love these questions today, Ryan. Uh, Ladarius Martin, have you watched the USFL? Uh, Birmingham Stein 6-0. Seem any team in Alabama is good. Uh, we're a football state. I think the league 
It's going last for real, but it has potential. I haven't watched any USFL, Ryan. I think you have, right? What are I your have, thoughts yeah. on it so far? There's there's always going to be the it's always going to be the staying power conversation, right? Like I think it's it's been entertaining. I've watched the New Jersey Guardians, I think, are uh or generals, excuse me, are five and one, I think, as well. So they're a decent team. Um, it comes down to this, honestly, Ladarius. I, the AAF was actually doing a decent job as far as ratings, and then COVID hit, and then that Stinking just COVID, man. plummeted everything. I think the USFL is doing okay in that department as well. I think the interesting thing I'm going to see is when the XFL gets launched here with the Rock leading it, that's – interesting like that the, you're going to kind of be fighting on what the alternative league is right in the u.s out because you know obviously outside of that it's like you have the cfl you have the european football leagues like all that type of stuff but there's a there's always going to be people that are going to watch the football but i think the usfl xfl are really going to butt heads to see who has the state power to be honest mm-hmm. but the usfl has been entertaining it's football i'll watch it i mean i'm always going to watch if it's on tv so i would love for another professional league to pop up just because it's just more opportunities for kids to continue playing football. And I'm all for that. And then people who want to coach to coach football, I'm all, I'm all for markets being created that provide jobs and opportunity for people to work and do things they love and are passionate about, but also the people joy of things that they enjoy to watch. So mm-hmm. I'm a fan of all of those. I'm all, I'm very curious what you just had that facial reaction to um, down there in the was, chat. It was, it was just something about the AAF. I remember it, it folded like right because of COVID and someone, there was a couple things COVID. that went on. There was like, yeah. there was some money issues, but then COVID yeah. hit and it just, it was yes. just a combination of things, but it was, it was doing really well TV ratings wise. And it was building mm-hmm. a, a quick fan base. I enjoyed watching it. I, that's the only, I haven't watched a single USFL game. Probably yeah. I didn't watch any XFL when it launched the first time. Probably won't watch the next time. I watched that AAF. I enjoyed it, and and you know, wish I'm not anti USFL. I just it hasn't thought even crossed my mind. Like I, XFL, I was against. I'm like the whole yeah. concept of it, the stupid how to start a game with the stupid. You know, it's just it was wrestling with football pads on, right? And yeah. the only wrestling I liked with football pads was the Legion of Doom. That's it. You know, so. Um, you know, speaking of James Laronitis, but, uh, you know, I just don't, I just, it's just, I'm spring. I've kind of like, I've got other things I'm worried about right now, but, uh, I would love it if there was something that was good enough to make me want to watch it, but yeah, I, I hope it, I hope it works. I, I do. The unfortunate thing is that the NFL is so un, un, unwilling to partner with a league to make a developmental league. Like that's just right. never gonna happen because they have college football. They don't need a right. developmental. They don't need to spend the know? money. Exactly. 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 And there's nothing college football can do to disassociate to stop being that. Like there's nothing. Right. Co- well, fine, we won't let you have our players. You have no ability to do that. There's nothing the college football can do to 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 hurt the NFL. The NFL can do a lot of things to hurt college football, which like we've seen with, with the college basketball. In my opinion, have you seen have you seen the fan control football league? Such a no. gimmicky little thing. It's like an arena league thing. I think it. I, I don't remember if it was Manziel or if it was another quarterback, but he threw a touchdown and then lit a joints like on the side. Oh, I did see recently. that on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's stupid. like they have to, they have to do gimmicky stuff like that right. to get any entertainment right. value. Yep. A guy that I coached with at Duquesne is part of that league, and I just uh, when I found that I was like pass, hard pass. DMND13, this is something I get a lot, right? I get this question a lot, and you'll see it during on the boards this year. It says, if you win the coin toss, would you always receive, always defer, or would it depend on the game and matchup? What would you do at Ohio State? I, I, I think, the, it's for me, it's always, it depends on my team, and it depends mm-hmm. on the matchup. 
I I am personally someone who likes the ball. Yeah. I want an opportunity to beat you to to go up. I want to have an opportunity to go up on the scoreboard before you have an opportunity to go up on the scoreboard. I just that's just my stance. I think it's a personal preference thing. I've heard people say, well, you know, teams that that get the ball first usually tend to win. Is that because they got the ball first or they were the better team? Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, so I don't really think that has a whole lot to do with it. It's just they're they're the better team. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just I think that has a whole lot more to do with it than anything else. And that's what I love when people like kind of have these these they take these data points that they think back up what they already thought. And you're like, well, it's because of this. And you're like, no, it's not because of that. It's because one team was really good. and The other team wasn't that good. That, that's why that team won. Right. And so, I mean, if, if Bama, let's just say Bama, like had this phenomenal record because they got the ball first or went on defense first. Does anyone think that if all of a sudden Bama started taking the ball first, that they would all of a sudden start losing games? You know what I mean? Like, come on. So um, that's my, it's my stance on that. But I, I think it's a personal preference thing, but it always comes down to, you also have to do what's best for your football team and what your matchup is. And I would much rather for me, because the, the thought is like, okay, but if you go on offense first, it's going to be loud and the crowd's going to be all into it, blah, 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 blah. And, and I understand that. But what if the first time your offense is on the field is after you just went down seven up and is the crowd going to be any less loud or mm-hmm. now they're going to be louder and there's even more pressure on you because you're now down seven to nothing. Right. So that that's kind of my, that's my two cents I, on it. I know? was, I was, I was always more of a defensive guy. So from a coaching perspective, I always wanted to defer and then yeah. play defense because I get really anxious as a coach. So I don't want to just sit there and not yeah. have any input type of thing. So, but right. I think so it does the, depend. It's the same it depends thing. It's on the personal matchup. preference. Right. Exactly. It's, it's yep. right. So like, I, I mean, look, Notre Dame started on defense against Alabama in the BCS title game. How'd that work out for him, right? Did, did they lose because of that, or did they lose because Bama was the better team that day? You know, so, I don't know. I just, it's a personal preference thing for the most part. Tom Chris, 2488. I know 2015 Texas is not 2022 Ohio State, but could you see a scenario where Buckner comes out and has a game like Zaire did, that game going uh, – did that game going from unproven to stud? Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. I could see that. I think the difference would be I like the fact that his question, the question was built around the offense because it won't be 38 to three. You know, it'd be more like 38 35, but the focus was on the offense. Could I see a game like that? Yeah, I could see a game like that. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to go like 23 to 25. <laughs> but as far as like having a big game where he makes a lot of big plays and, and the offense is really rolling. Yeah. I could see something like that. There's, I mean, there's, I'm not saying I'm predicting it, Ryan, but it, I wouldn't be shocked if Tyler Bucker comes out and plays well against Ohio state because a, he's really good. B he has really good players around him and C I don't think much of Ohio state's defense. So mm-hmm. yeah, I could, I could see that. I could speaking see that. of speaking of Brian Van Gorder, that's a game that had people fooled for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like first one, then like they had the shutout against Michigan. They beat Stanford in a low scoring game. You know, of course, that quarterback eventually got beat, beat out and wasn't very good. And that ended up not being a real good Stanford team. Um, but uh, well, I still felt like I felt Van Gorder was a bum. Actually, now I'm thinking about it. That was 14. I'm thinking of. I thought he was a bum before that game, but it fed into the people that thought, oh, he's actually going to be really good because look what they did in 15. And it just, it was, no, it, it quickly went away. He was awful. Absolutely awful. Brandon Plesner, what player on both offense and defense can Notre Dame not afford to have a serious injury from, not including Tyler Buckner? Because obviously we talked about him last week. 
So if you're going to take Tyler Buckner out of the equation, who's the guy they can least afford to lose on offense? Mm. Ryan, my my two picks on offense would be I'm going to go two. One of the tackles or Loren- mm-hmm. or Lorenzo Styles. Part of me says Michael Mayer, but again, I just feel like with him, it's like you can game plan not having your tight end a little bit more effectively. It's not, I mean, he's their best player. There's no question about it. It's just which guy's most replaceable. I think one of those two would be my would be my pick on offense. Who would you be your pick you, on p- you picked both my guys. I literally was like Lorenzo Styles would be debilitating for the wide receiver group. And I was thinking, do I want to pick Blake Fisher? Or do I want to pick Joe Alt? Either way, you're in trouble yeah. if one of them gets hurt a little bit. Yeah. I mean, because who's the next tackle in right now? Is it Caleb Johnson? Uh, is it Tosh? Tosh yeah. In either spot? I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's not – that yep. would not be a great situation to be in. Yep, I agree. Defense for me, it's Fosky. And I know you can make a case for Cam Hart and Brandon I'd, I'd Joseph. Say and, I'd say Cam. And, but yeah. for me, it's it's Isaiah Fosky. Because here's, here's why I'll say that. Is if Cam goes down, Isaiah Fosky can still have an impact on keeping you from exposing whoever replaces Cam. If Fosky goes down, I don't care how good Cam is. It's 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 going to have a big impact on the defense. That would be my two cents. And I would say this: if you tell me it's any game other than USC or Ohio State, I think your answer would be different. Sure. If you knew Cam was only going to be healthy for two games all year, and it's Ohio State, USC, you know what I mean. But if the rest of them, I think your answer might be a little bit different. But I yeah. understand. My, my, my would good be receivers this year. They do. My, mine would be Cam, just because I, I think it's already a position that has question marks outside of Cam. So if you if you got him injured now, then you're trying to find two corners that can do the job instead of hopefully one that can be a player out, out, out opposite of him. And Isaiah is a great player, obviously. And the and the separation between him and Justin Adam Alola is is notable, obviously. But mm-hmm. I, I still have more confidence that Justin Adam Alola is going to come in and give you some good production, other than one of the other corners potentially. I think that's like, fair. I just Yeah. That's a good point. I think that's a very fair point. Like looking at it from, I mean, because earlier, I, one of the questions we had earlier, Ryan, was who's going to be the biggest surprise this year? And it was Justin Adamiola was mine. I think people are under, that's a really good point. And so it's, so it's not, I think we both agree that Isaiah Foskey's their best defensive player. Would you, Agreed. is that fair? Mm-hmm. So your point is the same. It's like, but I feel better about who replaces Isaiah compared to, to Cam. That's a really good point. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a really good point. Yeah, that's a that's really really well good point. I'm I have to I think I'm have to go with you on that one. That makes a lot of sense. I'm gonna go with you on that one. I'm gonna change my answer. Ryan has convinced me. Get used to people. Don't get used to people. Doesn't happen often. But Ryan has put a fourth day. All I heard well was, done, counselor. All I heard was get used to it, people. That's yeah, all I heard. No, don't get used to it, people. If Ty, Katie Kevers, if Tyler Buckner, we haven't seen you in a while, Katie. So glad to have you back in the channel. Tyler Buckner does not take the step forward we all are hoping for. How much should the blame be placed on Reese, or does it just reflect upon Buckner? I think it's both. I think it's, it's always, always both. both. It's yeah. always both. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's like one of the things. It's either you're on fully on one side or you're fully on the other. It's usually a combination of things, right? right. Like it's not usually one thing. The perception is going to be on Reese, in my opinion, at least in the channel, because people are you know the development of quarterbacks has not been great, even though it's not just a Tommy Reese thing, but they want to see it happen, obviously, right? So I think that they're going to say, Buckner was a five-star. How did he not get the best out of him? Like, I think that's going to be the perception, even if it's not the reality. Yep. Agree. I think it would it would really hurt Tommy Reese, Tommy Reese's reputation more than it would hurt Tyler Buckner's. I will say that. 
if 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 you look at it from a different way. So like you're talking about blame, Katie. I think the blame would likely go more on Tommy Reese because it would continue a trend of, you know, talented quarterbacks that didn't pan out at Notre Dame. Now, it would hurt Tyler Buckner perception-wise, but it would it would it would hurt Tommy Reese big time. I don't think it's going to I don't think that's going to be the case, but I, I think it would just be like, well, here we go again, right? Notre Dame can't develop quarterbacks. And I think there's also a lot of people that still are doubting Coach Reese. There's a lot of doubters about Coach Reese, and I think that would only feed into that. So um, I I think it would hurt him more. But as far as if we're going to have an objective who's to blame, you know, I think I think it's both. All right, DMND13. How would you rank these coaches from best to worst? James Franklin, Matt Campbell, Pat Narduzzi, mm. PJ Fleck, and Pat Fitzgerald. Ooh, that's a Ooh. that's nope. a list of guys I don't really care to to think. To think oh, I, I like I yeah. I personally like Pat Fitzgerald. I do like Pat Fitzgerald. I, I would I would him between him and Matt Campbell would be the top for me. I'm gonna say Fitzgerald just because of my bias for a second, and then mm-hmm. I would say Matt Campbell. After that, I would say Narduzzi. No. Look, I get your your love for Fitzgerald. I mean, it's hard to go three and nine in the last two oh, years. You know, in two of the last hard, three years, it's hard to win at Northwestern, my friend. He's it doing the same thing win. that Randy Walker did, and all. I mean, come on, man. Uh, come uh, on, Gary Barnett on. took him to a Rose Bowl. They've gone <laughs> th- like I think there was a time when I when that argument made sense, but the last three years they've gone three and nine in two of the last three years. I think the the shine has to be off at least a little bit because of that. And I like I like Pat Fitz, yeah. man. Pat no. Fitz, he hates Matt Campbell. Uh, that's fine. I mean, he's yeah. not coaching there, so it's fine. Narduzzi, <laughs> but he is better than Pat Narduzzi. I will say that. Yes, Nar- <laughs> Narduzzi, Fleck, and Franklin. In my opinion, you go Franklin I think, last. I don't get the James. Franklin you think thing, he's man. a be- You think you think Pat Narduzzi is a better coach than James Franklin? Really? Yes, I do. Maybe not a better recruiter, but I do. You see, that's yes. part of being a coach, though. <sighs> sure, but it's the I'm talent acquisition. If- I think, I th- but I, th- I also think that James Franklin wastes a lot of talent. Like I just True. don't, yeah, I just don't get it True. with him. I don't. True. I never got He's it. He's also him. had a rough couple of years. I mean, it's just kind of similar argument to what I made about about P- about Pat Fitzgerald. Is like, I mean, they're yeah. eleven and eleven in the last two years, and it's with a lot of. En- and I said this on. Remember, I tweeted this during the draft. They kept having these first, second, third round picks. I'm like, does anybody waste more talent than Penn State does? And they have these, they have these like comp. They had a kid who. Didn't even play at Penn State. They ran like a four-two-two to combine. It was absurd. It was just stupid. Or pro day, mm-hmm. excuse me, the pro day. But they oh, always um, have these freaky yeah. athletes, you know. Yeah, and and yeah. it's like guys, these combine warriors, and it's like, and you're like these highly top ten to twelve recruiting classes, and you're like you're going eleven and eleven last three years. Like, you know what's going on? But I still think because of the recruiting, I think I'd put him number two. But I, I'd go, I'd go Campbell one. I'd probably go Franklin too, just because of the recruiting, but I'd feel real dirty about putting him there because I don't think he's a very good coach. I think he's a good motivator and a good recruiter. I think he's the worst game day coach on this list. But here's the other thing. Of the five guys on this list, he's going to have the best players every time, which partly is because he's a Penn State, not Pitt or Iowa State or Minnesota or whatever. But the guy won nine games twice at Vanderbilt. Like Sometimes I wonder if maybe he'd be better at a place like that than he is at a place like Penn State. P.J. Fleck would be my third. I'd go Fitzgerald next, and I'd go Pat Narduzzi last. I think you hate, I think Pat you Narduzzi, hate Narduzzi, man. I just you dislike hate. him as a coach. I think this year was the fluke year. I think he's more of the guy that went 7-7, seven and seven, you know, and goes 8-5. and five. I think he's 
not a great in-game coach. I think they they had a great quarterback. And the fact that the fact that Mark Whipple sprinted to Nebraska to get away from Narduzzi at Pitt says everything you need to know about what it's like working for Pat Narduzzi. I also have a friend of mine whose kid played there. And uh, wait, did I did I have stories? I think I may have actually put Narduzzi in front of Fleck, and I would like to reverse that if I did okay. say that. I would put yeah, Fleck at did. three and Narduzzi at four if I said that. My yeah. my mistake. I think PJ Fleck's a better coach than James Franklin, not by a ton. But he's a better coach yeah. than James Franklin. But I think Franklin's a better recruiter, and that's where he got the edge for me. To be honest with you, that's fair. I mean, yeah. but look, look. I mean, to your point about uh, you know. Uh, Franklin at Vanderbilt, right? I know Vanderbilt's obviously in the SEC, so it's a little different than winning at Western Michigan, but taking that right. program to 12 and 0 or whatever the heck they were yeah. with Fleck was pretty impressive in a three yeah. year span or whatever it was. So four year. Yeah. Four year span. And a bunch of uh five actually. Well, I think he was at I think he was there for five years. I, I just remember his wasn't his first year like one and eleven or one something. One and eleven, then they had a couple eight yeah. and five years. Yeah. And it, was he there four years? Yeah, four years. He went one and eleven, eight and five, eight and five, and then thirteen and one. And that 13 and 1 season, I mean, they they beat Northwestern on the road. So your boy Narduzzi uh, beat Illinois on the road by 24. And then, of course, lost to Wisconsin. And that the game they lost to Wisconsin, the Cotton Bowl, that was a competitive game. I mean, they got blown out by Wisconsin. You just had to row the boat, man. Right. He's just had, he said, two good years and then a bunch of eh, you know? Yeah, I know. And and that's kind of my thing. If he, but I, 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 I could see him easily sliding up to number two. But Matt Campbell's not the lock for number one for me that he would have been a year ago. A year ago, he'd have been a no-brainer number one for me. But what I said last offseason, Ryan, was this is the year we really get to see what what Matt Campbell's made of because this is the first year that there's actually pressure and expectations on his program. And they they failed miserably, in my opinion, miserably. Jimmy McGill asks, what are the top 10 coaching jobs in college based on following? Uh, and we'll get into those different things. Jimmy so this is the second time you've done this in the last couple of weeks. Jimmy is a new listener. Uh, you have given me a question that I'm not going to answer right now because I'm writing it down as a show idea for the summer. I think it'd be a great show idea. I don't think we can do justice to that top 10 without a full show, Ryan. So Jimmy, I just wrote this down, literally wrote it down, top, top 10 programs, uh, based on all the different factors th- that we'll get into. So I love the idea, Jimmy. So we're not going to answer it now, but I did want to pull it up to give you props for when we do that show this summer that we are going to, we'll give you, we'll give you, may, I may think about giving you credit for it. We'll see what kind of mood I'm in at the time, but uh, we we shall see. P-Dub says, what's the one thing that will shock you both positively and negatively about this, about the team? Talking about Notre Dame. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, if if I knew what they were, they wouldn't shock me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, I think I'll say this, the one thing that would shock me if it happened, I'll say that. How about that? The one thing that would shock me both positively and negatively, if the, if the line play is not good, I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked. The thing I, that would shock what's thoughts, Ryan. I was just going to say negatively kind of on the same wavelength is that the running back room isn't strong, you know, like yeah. I, I just feel like that's such a, like a no brainer for me right now is that they're going to be really dynamic in that group. So kind of in a similar wavelength, just different position. Yep. The thing that would shock me positively is that the secondary becomes the strength of the defense. I don't think it'll happen. I could see a path for it though. 
but it would shock me if it happened. Right. That's interesting. Like, it's interesting. Yeah. Cause it'd be like, okay, Ryan Barnes breaks out, which then puts Clarence Lewis in more of a rotation role, which is where I think he's better suited. Tariq has a great year in the slot. Cam Hart makes the first round leap that we think he's capable of. Brandon Joseph is what you have always thought he is going to be. And somebody mm-hmm. breaks out at the other safety position. I mean, are any of those things necessarily far-fetched? No. No. But for all those things to happen would take like literally just the inside straight. We just don't, we don't ever really see that in my opinion. So if that were to happen and all of a sudden the safety position becomes, or the secondary becomes the strength of the defense, that would shock me positively. I think it could be yeah. good, but that's why I say the, the strength, not a strength, but the strength of the defense. I think it would, it would be a positive, a positive shock for me. What Can you think of anything else that would be a positive shock? Positive shock if there are 2,000-yard receivers on the team this year. Hmm. Yeah. Michael Mayer and Lorenzo Styles, let's say. Yeah. I mean, is that yeah. when's the last time that's happened? 2,000-yard receivers on the same team? That's a good question. It's been a – I don't – I think you'd have to go back to Stovall and Samarja in 05. Yeah. I don't think it's ha- – Just remember what – Rima in the next year, wasn't it? Rima no, he never got to 1,000. Oh, he didn't? He Yeah, he had like 900-something. He had like 15 touchdowns or something like that. But, yeah, Raymond McKnight, he never had uh, – yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm going to look it up now, but he didn't have 1,000 yards that year. I'm pretty sure. Now, if he would have not dropped 18 passes against USC in the last game of the year, he might have got to 1,000. He had 907, 67 catches for 907 yards, 15 touchdowns. Now, Floyd and Golden Tate would have if Floyd didn't keep getting hurt. In 2009, especially, I mean, Golden won the Bolitnikoff that year. He had over 1,400 yards. Until the moment Floyd got hurt against Michigan State, he was their best receiver and their leading receiver. I mean, he was having a monster year. They both would have gone for 1,000 yards. I have no doubt about that. I, I don't think – because Will Fuller, there was nobody else that had 1,000 with Will. Eifert never had 1,000 with Floyd. TJ Jones was only nine-something, right? EQ was yeah, only nine-something. Uh, EQ, yeah, he never went over 1,000, and he led the team. Uh, TJ Jones had over 1,000, but nobody else did. Uh, nobody had 1,000 with Will Fuller. And nobody had 1,000 with Chase in 19, and then Notre Dame hasn't had a 1,000-yard receiver in the last two years. So, yeah, uh, I think that would be a real positive shock. That's Yeah, it's a good one, Ryan. Real good one. You're on fire today. You – Got a little salty with the the microphone thing. You came back like locked in, locked in. I'm digging I'm locked it. in without a hat, man. No hat. I'm digging it. See, it's like it's it's like your your brain has just got all this room to breathe now. So yeah, it was tight. There you it was go. So tight. <laughs> Speaking of Buckner, I feel a, from Jacob Watson. Speaking of Buckner, I feel a ton of fans and people around the country are sleeping on him, based on some of his games passing last year. What are your thoughts? I think he's a difference maker. I, I agree with you, Jacob. I do. Uh, Ryan, what are your thoughts? I, I do think he's being overlooked. I understand nationally. I think he's being overlooked yeah. by a lot of Notre Dame fans. I do. I, I think there's a misconception about the passing prowess just because he had such a simplistic, um, simplistic playbook when he would come into the football game. Like it was, I mean, he was a he was a gadget player last year. Like let's call him what it actually was, right? Like he's basically a wildcat quarterback. I mean, so yeah, I think that we are seriously underrating the talent. I mean, go back and watch him coming out of California. I mean, he had some incredible passing numbers and he has incredible passing upside. It's just people, people have a recency bias and they saw last mm-hmm. year him in a very dumbed down role 
and that did not allow him to take advantage of his skill set. So we'll see this year. That's that's where he's going to be judged upon this year, not last year. And here's another part of that recency bias. If they would have put Jack Cohn back in the game of the second half against Virginia Tech, I believe we would have a completely different opinion of Tyler Buckner right now. Completely different opinion. I think he'd be less prepared because I think he needed that second half against Virginia Tech. But I think he would be better. I think he, the percent, if he would have just gone eight of 14 for 100 some yards and two touchdowns in the first half and brought them back and then they put Jack Cohn back in, I think we'd have a different, I think people have a different opinion of him because a lot of the critics of Tyler ignore the first half and focus on the second half, which some fairness to it. But I think that's where a lot of people seem to be, in my opinion, missing the boat a little bit when it comes to his talent and effectiveness, in my opinion. So. That's my two cents. Jimmy McGill, what makes the biggest difference in passing game this year? Better wide receiver coaching under Chancey Stuckey, Tommy Reese being unleashed to call what he wants, or Tyler Buckner being better than Cone as a passer? Um, I, the biggest so difference? We can't cheat and take I'm – I'm, I'm going to go away from what my gut is and to cheat and say all of it together because I think yes. ultimately that's the answer, right? It's all of it together. Sure. But if you could say which one of the – so all of them have to work together, right, Ryan? I mean, they, Chancey has to do better, Tommy this, and then Buckner, right? And I would even throw in there O-line improves and pass protection, right? So I, I think we need to have that as part of this conversation too because that's what we saw last year is they couldn't protect Jack Cohn. Even I mean, Tommy's calling plays where guys are getting open, but you can't protect the quarterback. So I think you throw that in there too. I think they all have to go together. But if there's one thing – that is going to be better on the other. It's the trigger man. I'm always going to go to that. It's always going to be is the dude at quarterback making the plays with his mind and arm that need to be made. Because mm-hmm. if Chancey's doing a great job coaching and Tommy's unleashing great play calls and the O-line's giving him pass pro, but Tyler Buckner's not reading the defense, not throwing on time and not being accurate, then it doesn't matter. It's my Ian Book argument, right? It's It, it doesn't matter. All these things don't matter. If the quarterback's unwilling to throw the ball, it doesn't matter. If, or if he throws it, but it's inaccurate, it doesn't matter. All those other things don't matter. That's the one thing that didn't get – because here's my point. If Tommy's calling great games and the pass pro is good and Buckner's money, then the, the receivers don't have to be elite coached. This have to be okay. If Buckner – if the co- receivers are coached and Tommy's calling great games and Buckner's money and the O-line's not as good, there's things you can do to protect against it. Move the pocket, throw quick game screens. There's things that you can do, right? And I would go all over. At the one thing that can negate – all of them is a pass pro to a degree, but more so it's if the quarterback's not playing well, that's the one kryptonite to all those other things. And so that's to me, the, the quarterback doing what he, what he needs to do and playing well is ultimately the thing that we'll have of those, all, all those things are important, but I think the trigger man is always going to be the most important. I am going to cheat slightly, not fully. Okay. I was going to, I was going to say yes to begin with, but I would say coaching is what I'm going mm-hmm. to defer to here because two out of three of these things have to do directly with a coaching a, a coaching wrinkle that is being thrown in. Mm-hmm. We saw the, what the offense can look like differently from a passing perspective when Tommy Reese was unleashed in the bowl game. We saw evidence that it can happen, and we have a, I think, confidence that Chancey Stuckey is going to get a lot more out of the wide receiver group. I think that's pretty safe to say, so... I'm going to say coaching unlocks it the most because I just believe in Tyler Buckner. Like I just, I think that the, I think the coaching staff 
whether it's in the recruiting side of things, team building side of things, in the coaching side of things, I think highly of their abilities. So I'm going to say that coaching takes it to the next level. I I don't disagree with your point, but I'll still say if the coaching is good, but the trigger man's not getting the job done, that has a bigger impact than it's like you and I both know that there are a dynamic Mm -hmm. quarterback can overcome bad coaching much more than a good coaching can overcome a bad quarterback. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I get down to, but it's all important. None of those can be bad. That's the thing I think we will say. None of those things can be bad. That's the key. Michael Rice asks, if Tyler stays healthy, what would your be your projected stat line for, for him, for Tyler Buckner? Secondary, how about Brandon Joseph on the other side of the ball? I've, I think I've been asked this before about Tyler Buckner, and, and you know, I don't remember what my answer was last time. If he stays healthy, I think I'm around like a 300, 3,000 passing yards. You know, I think I said 2,800 last time. If he's healthy, I think about 3,000 is probably a more realistic number, including the postseason. And I'd say 500 plus passing rushing yards. I think I'm looking at like 35 to 3,700 total yards, and it can be a sliding scale. So if he rushes for 700, maybe only throws for 28 right? Something like that. You know, that kind of thing. If it's, if it's like 3,500 is the number, you know, it's, it's, if, you, you know what I mean? If he only, th- if he only runs for 300 and he's healthy all year and starts all the games, it means he threw for a bunch and he's just not running. I'd, but I'd be more shocked if we see a lower rushing number than a, than a lower passing number, just because I think this run game to your point earlier, Ryan, you talked about the backs and the offensive line. And I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of teams are going to just blow out this year. There's some bad teams on the schedule. I mean, Notre Dame's schedule right now, if you look at all 12 opponents, has a combined losing record from last year, despite right. you have 11-2 and two Ohio State, 10-3 and three BYU, 10-3 and three, um, Clemson. You still have a losing combined record because there's some bad teams in this. UNLV sucks. Navy sucks. Syracuse is not good. Cal's not good. Marshall, compared to Notre Dame, is not good. Uh, Stanford's not good. I mean, there's just not a lot of – there's a there's like a group of five that I think could be good, and then there's just a lot of not very good at all. So I think there could be games where he doesn't throw for a ton of yards because they just run all over people. But mm-hmm. I think like thirty five to thirty seven hundred is my total offensive range for him, Ryan. What would your what would your stat line be for that? My mine would be about thirty five hundred total, maybe thirty six hundred total. Something in somewhere twenty eight to twenty nine hundred yards passing and another seven hundred rushing, and I think around thirty five total touchdowns. I think is kind of fair. Mm-hmm. Like I would say thirty five ish yeah. total touchdowns. Like yeah. twenty seven rushing eight or twenty seven, <laughs> twenty seven <laughs> passing eight rushing, twenty five passing ten rushing, which is a very similar to a Deshaun Kaiser stat line from two thousand fifteen. You almost made him. You almost made him Ricky Dobbs there for a second. I know, right? Man. Seriously, or Keenan Reynolds. Seriously. I know, right? Yeah. Seriously, turned him into a triple option quarterback at Navy. It's like, all right, Eric Crouch. Okay, Michael Rice also said, would you mind sharing who you would like to see as the next offensive coordinator should Tommy leave and maybe who you think a few of the up-and-coming offensive minds at smaller schools? Unfortunately, Michael, a lot of the names that I liked are gone to the NFL now. I really liked the kid at, at Kentucky because I'm not a big Will Levis fan, and and I and I think that he was made – it kind of goes back to, Ryan, how you answered the previous question. I think the coaching made him look a lot better than he is. And and 
you know, I, I think that he was a guy that I had. What's his name? I forget. It's like, is it Levi or something like that? What's the guy's name? He's with the Rams now. He's the new but, offense coordinator, right? Yeah, I liked him a lot. Uh, I just, I, I'd have to study the game. Like, I liked Kalen DeBoer a lot as an offensive coordinator. Yep. Now he's the head coach at Washington. He's off Liam, the table. Liam, Liam Cohen. Liam was, Cohen. Okay. Yep. So he is uh he's a guy that I liked, but I mean he's not leaving the Rams to take an OC job at Notre Dame if Tommy Richel left, you know. So sure. I'd have to, I'm gonna have to kind of reorient myself a little bit, Michael, and just really study some of the names out there, you know, and just kind of see who is out there. What I can say, the reason I pulled your question up is even though I don't have a name for you, I do think it's very important that Coach Freeman hires someone that has the ability or the potential to create a dynamic offense because the one thing i do believe is i don't think notre dame is going to be able to compete for titles playing in a conservative offense now can not being conservative conservative doesn't equal rushing and not being conservative doesn't equal not running i think you can run the football a lot and be effective still have an explosive offense i point to oklahoma i point to some of lane kiffin's best teams when Oklahoma had their best offenses, they ran a lot. When Ohio State's had their best offenses, they've run a lot. I think you can run a lot and still be in a dynamic, explosive offense, but you've got to be able to throw the football as well. And so he's got to find someone that that comes with that thought process. And, I, and I'd rather not have someone that's going to completely overhaul the philosophy. Like, don't go from a pro-style spread to an air raid, a, a Mike Leach air raid. You know what I mean? Like – Mm-hmm. Would I be okay kind of going to like a Phil Longo, Jeff Lebby version of the air raid? Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Do I want a Mike Leach disciple air raid? No, that's not what I would want. Like, like I'm not hiring Graham Harrell, for example, right? <laughs> like he's not on my list. Um, that would be the key. You guys got a tornado, tornado watch out there. So, that was some, some type of warning, yeah. man, that just popped up. Yeesh, that was yeah. loud. Ryan just kind of goes flying up like this. We know what's going on, everybody. Uh, so get to that. Gonna kind of get to a few more questions here because we do have. Wait, to can I can I throw one guy in real oh, quick? Oh, sure, Brian? of course. Real quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted to just throw out a guy named Eric Morris, who is actually going to be the offensive coordinator at Washington State this year. He was the head coach okay. of Incarnate Word in Texas okay. over the last couple of years. He averaged like over forty points per game the last two years at Incarnate Word. He's actually bringing his quarterback Cam Ward over with him. He's a really talented player, by the way. So. I, I think that he's a guy to watch at Washington State. He's going to be the offensive coordinator this year. This will be his first year. Looks like he played at Texas Tech. As I a believe wide so. So but he he's plays a, in the air raid that I just said I don't. Well, like. no, but if you if you watch totally it though, kidding. man, it's totally it's mu- it's much more Phil Longo air raid because they actually had a running back that ran for like over a thousand yards. They're they're more a a pro style air raid than Mike Leach air raid. So look. Lincoln Riley's a Michael, Mike Leach disciple. They run the ball a lot more. At least they did early on in his tenure at Oklahoma. I'm I'm very curious what his heart is in that. I wonder if some of that was like, did he do it because that's what Bob Stoops wanted and then Bill Bedenball, or is that where he wanted to be? But uh, I don't mind an air raid if it's one that's built around being able to, to go out there and be balanced. You have to be balanced. That's the key. And I'm not like you got to run for X number of yards. It's just – you got to be balanced. I'm trying to look up incarnate words. Um, they were in the Southland. Were they in the Southland last year? Ryan's got had to get out of here. So, see, talk bringing up a guy. I'm doing my research, and then he's got he had to take off. So, um, let's get to these next couple questions here real quick. Michael Campbell, what date 
before week one? Should we as a fan base expect to have an offensive identity to have real insight on what we are good at? the players by name who are playmakers to depend on. I don't know if we really are going to have an answer to that until we see them play games. I, I think for me, it would be, you want to, you want to have an idea of Michael of who your starters are and who your top players are and kind of what your focus is going to be really kind of getting into that. The two weeks out from the opener kind of thing. So like a week out from, you know, you, you get your first games on September 3rd, that Monday, before you're going to start your sort of in-season routine, you want to have a week under your belt before that where your football team kind of has an idea of, of who you want to be and, and what you're trying to do and those type of things is, is really what, in a perfect world, that's the late, that's the cutoff that you start to feel like, okay, this is who we're going to be as a football team. All right, Antoine Porsche Rideau, do you think Notre Dame will sign four from Texas Rivals said fiction and that Bowen would flip to Texas A&M. I don't think you should listen to what Rivals says about anything, to be honest with you. Uh, obviously, Braylon James, they have. I think Peyton Bowen that they have. I think Jaden Greathouse, I think they're in a great position for with him. Then it comes down to, can they get Micah Bell? And so I think right now, do I think Notre Dame will sign? Let me see how the visit with Micah Bell goes first. But I think they got a shot. I think they got a good shot. and. You know, I think Notre Dame's in a good place with Micah Bell. I think from everything we've heard, uh, he likes Notre Dame a lot, but that visit's going to have a big, big say in, in kind of how that plays out. I wanted to pull this up. Irish for Life put this in here, and, and he's a good, good loyal member of our, of our community. Uh, he has been really with Irish Breakdown from the beginning. Uh, he's been on part of the channel. He has been – he was one of the original people that got on the message, the free message board that was part of the original Irish Maven site. He's been around for a while. And uh, he's been dealing with a lot of health issues over the years. And he asked that we pray for him. Uh, he has a new health issue. And he says one of the potentials is that it could be cancer. And he has an appointment that's uh, over a month away. So I know he's had to battle through a lot of pain and a lot of sickness. And, um, and, and my friend, you are certainly in our prayers. So you, we will definitely be thinking about you, not just because that's what we do, but also, I mean, I'm not going to lie. You're one of the OGs of the, of the Irish breakdown site and the message board and the chat and all that kind of stuff. So we certainly wish you all the best and good health. So uh, we'll definitely be praying for you, my friend. And I know there's a lot of people on this uh, chat that will be doing the same. Absolutely. And then as may say, case and Ryan, it's simple. Join the message board. People, if you're watching, you can see the link down there boards at irishbreakdown.com. It's $4.99 a month. That is not a trial offer. That is not a do that for the first year, the first three months, and then after that it goes up. That is our, that's what we do. Or it's $49.99 for a year. A lot of people have asked, hey, I want to support the channel. I'm not a message board person. You can still sign up. You don't have to, we're not going to force you to, you don't have to, there's not like a 20 post minimum, right? I mean, uh, you don't have to do that. We also have a, a booster club, an Irish Breakdown booster club. So if you go to boards at irishbreakdown.com, you'll see that there's a, a Shamrock club a blue club and a gold club, which are ways that you can, uh, you can support our channel and support us as an institution and help us continue to grow. Hit that like button, smash the like button actually, because what may says subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, share the podcast and leave a five-star review. And as always go Irish, Sean and I will be back tomorrow with a show probably around one o'clock PM. So we'll have a show tomorrow. Uh, don't have our schedule for the rest of the weekend figured out. Monday's Memorial Day, Tuesday I have jury duty, so there's a lot of things up in the air. 
That's why you need to be subscribed to our channel so you know, or notifications so you know. Also, we'll talk about it on the message board, and I'll tweet it out too once we finalize everything. So I uh, really appreciate all of your patience with us. Great questions today. There's a ton of great questions that we couldn't get to just because I, that, we're at that three-hour mark, and I'm losing my voice, and uh, we just need to get rocking and rolling because there's a couple of things we got we to gotta get done today. But uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Sean and I will answer questions. So if you had a question that we didn't get to today and you're going to be with us tomorrow, Bring it up again, and we'll we'll answer it, and we'll try to get to it after Sean and I talk tomorrow. So uh, I think it'll be really, really good. So I apologize for not getting to all the questions, but you guys had so many great questions that, I mean, we just weren't going to get to all of them. I'm still at like barely 2.30 right now as far as the times where we are in questions, and we're like still an hour behind. So I apologize, but tons of great questions, tons of great discussion. For Ryan, Vince, I'm Brian. Everybody have a great rest of your day. If we don't, for some reason, talk to you, whether we end up not being able to do a show or you're not able to do the show because you're traveling, happy Memorial Day. Thank you again to all those who have served our country. And obviously, Memorial Day is a day that we remember those who uh, lost their lives serving for our country and that, that sacrificed their lives so that we can be a free country. And as of today, we still are a free country because of their sacrifice. And so we honor all of them, including those who didn't necessarily die fighting, but have gone since. I always think of my grandfather uh, who fought in the Battle of the Bulge, fought in World War II. I always think of him and what his generation had to sacrifice so that we can be here today and be doing silly things like talking football. So it's much appreciated, and we have a great deal of respect for all of you. So have a wonderful Memorial Day, and we will see you all again very soon. Thank you for joining the Irish Breakdown Podcast. <laughs>